Welcome to Joshi, an all-about podcast on enterprise valuation and ESOP. Our guests are industry professionals and experts who will explain various concepts, strategies, and rationale around implementing ESOP and valuation for publicly traded as well as privately held companies. I'm your host Rahul Joshi, partner at Value Mantra, a valuation advisory firm. Our topic today is valuation method used in real estate companies, and we have with us Rakesh Lutt. Vice President Finance for Anwal Group, one of the leading real estate companies from Mumbai. Rakesh has decade plus experience in valuation consulting for real estate companies. Today, Rakesh will explain us the various methods used in valuation of real estate companies, REIT structure, and gaining popularity of REITs in India. So, without much ado, let's hear from Rakesh. Welcome, Rakesh. Thank you, Rahul. Thank you. It's pleasure to be on this platform with you. fantastic glad to glad that you are here rakesh so uh, though we know each other for a, uh, tell us more about you more about your background sure 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 all uh, let's let's begin this uh, by kind of quick introduction about myself and my career so far uh, so all i started uh, my professional career in 2006 after completing my ca Uh, with with always an interest and passion towards the finance and investments uh, i i joined ubs investment bank and worked there for 2 years as an analyst in technology and services sector after that i moved to uh, towards the real estate sector uh, which was uh, back then uh, one of the kind of fastest growing sectors especially with the fdi growth in 2005 6 uh, so so i joined cbre which is which is one of the best and the kind of largest real estate consulting firms not only in india but also globally uh, unfortunately uh, i actually not unfortunately interestingly uh, at the moment i joined cbre i started hearing of this word called subprime uh, initially i didn't realize what exactly it is what what what's, what's happening in our but i i think in few months uh, this this whole kind of gfc uh, kind of uh, broke off and uh, it, it really started kind of impacting uh, the india story he started hearing about lehman and such other events so you know this, this immediately after kind of joining in 2 3 months uh, this this entire uh, gfc led crash kind of really impacted uh, the kind of indian markets also But, yes, but, 2008 but, has been catastrophic. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, uh, we, yes, yes. Uh, however, I think uh, it's it's always said that you know you you learn the most in the downfall. So I I think frankly for me the learning started with the downfall, <laughs> the entire real estate journey. But I think fortunately I I thought all went kind of well. Had a good ten year long journey with CBRE. Uh, so so that that platform was more like an uh, you know. real estate advisory platform so uh, i advise a lot of clients uh, whether be it a kind of landowner or a developer or a private equity guy a banker nbfc uh, or or maybe a corporate occupier so the guys who have real estate interest uh, you know on, on their real estate strategies uh, you know for example uh, a developer wanting a kind of a development strategy uh, or a business strategy plan working out for him as to what to do how to do when to do so you know kind of a full fledged business advisory for a developer 
or maybe it could be for a private equity guy like an investment services investment advisory uh with respect to a due diligence valuation structuring services uh market studies uh, you know go no go strategies similarly for a banker or a nbfc maybe you know typical project reports they they would typically want uh, before lending to a real estate company or a developer or a project finance they would want kind of a project report or, you know just study the feasibility of that project so these were the kind of advisory led mandates which which i kind of worked out uh, with with a long tenure of uh, cbre of course uh, you know pre investment post investment asset management all, all that stuff so decade plus experience must be fantastic 10 years yeah, with cbre yeah, yeah, absolutely i i didn't really ever uh, realize that it's been that long a journey but i think uh you know the beauty of this consulting setup is uh, the role and the challenge every day the challenges are very different to you it's a pretty dynamic role uh, so you know i, I think i just uh, flashed by the entire 10 year so you moved into then from there you moved into corporate profile yes so how uh, when was that and how is that experience now yeah so so mid 18 is somewhere kind of i i took up this uh, entire uh, you know shift in the career and i moved to the industry i just thought to myself it makes sense uh, to uh, you know uh, shift towards the industry side i joined the real estate development company i joined radius developers which is uh, one of the uh, large uh, developers uh, mumbai based developers with properties uh, not only in mumbai but even in pune and delhi so you know radius is one of the pioneers of commercial uh, properties in mumbai so so all these big uh, properties what you see in bandra complex bandra kola complex you know they they the one of the leaders in development of that so so i kind of oh, worked with radius developers for a little less than 2 years and i very recently kind of joined runwal which again a very very big name uh, you know one of the successful uh, 40 year old groups and uh, the successful uh, real estate developers both in uh, re- residential and retail asset classes uh, you know good so in my last kind of 2 years stint i have been more uh, working towards uh, you know corporate finance and the investment led roles uh, so 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 that's that's uh, been my entire journey now so how different is both the consulting profile and a uh, corporate profile i mean say investment role so what's the basic difference in terms of or especially when you moved into a uh, investment role what was your activities or what is primarily what you do there oh yeah you know so so uh, i think uh, you know that way is uh, of course the role, roles are pretty kind of different one is more of an advisory one is more of you know you you are part of uh, a development platform uh, you are part of the industry and you are working for your own portfolio unlike consulting firm wherein you are advisory advising uh, guys for a limited scope for a limited kind of kind of a mandate but i i think uh, both both have its its own kind of uh, beauty and i think that's that's really helped uh, in my career as well so you know in a consulting led role like like i said you know you you have different kind of objectives to achieve uh, different kind of mandates and you have to view things differently your your perspectives needs to be uh, pretty broad and open enough to understand uh, what what exactly is the end objective the client is trying or wanting uh, from this entire scope and the mandate 
whereas in a kind of a uh, you know the corporate finance led role which i am currently you know you you have to uh, you, you have to act like a financial controller uh, of a, of a, of the company you know wherein you have to write from the strategy of the company uh, to the financing uh, to the relationship management to the operations everything put together but but i think uh, frankly to me uh, that 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 has really helped me in my my career as well because uh, in my previous avatar when i was working uh, more towards the consulting led roles that has just given me the perspectives what different people want uh, for for example today also when i speak to a lender or an investor i, I really I, i am able to appreciate uh, you know the way they think uh, the way they act the way they uh, they view the situation so you know probably i can uh, you know probably i can customize my my work and my strategies around that so but yeah i think uh, pretty much kind of uh, interesting stuff both both sides interesting so your experience on a consulting now on a investment has uh, led you uh, to work on various real estate models valuation methodologies especially for real estate companies so for me to understand uh, so uh, when does the valuation requirement arise for real estate companies uh, so uh, so i think there can be you know uh, multiple uh, areas or multiple uh, reasons for getting a real estate or a property valuation done for example you know uh, one a common uh, requirement arises from regulatory and compliance purposes like you know to comply with your typical companies act income tax act uh, your uh, bankruptcy code uh, sebi guidelines uh, you know like a financial reporting mna impairment testings and etc etc so that can be one your regulatory led requirements second can be a uh, transaction led requirements maybe you know you just before buying and selling a property or lending into a real estate uh, or investing into a real estate activity or a fundraising activity which typically while doing any transaction you want to know what's the value of the real estate what's the value of the underlying asset what what you are trading for uh, or, or maybe you know uh, for investment companies like you know funds and nbfcs uh, valuations are required for investor reporting you know for a typical kind of a corporate governance or maybe maybe other purposes like legal purposes disputes and other stuff so, you know typically these are the areas where valuation requirement arises so uh, generally just to ex- dig deeper into that th- uh, point so uh, when you say for investor reporting the valuation is uh, done so when we are talking about a real estate project we say we look at a real estate as a project per se or look at it from a company's cash flow point of view depends rob so you know for example uh, you know it all, it all depends upon what what kind of mandate and scope for example if a person is taking a call on that asset on a particular uh, project in that case uh, we the idea is to focus on that particular asset so might be company has four different assets or four different properties but but the idea because the uh, you know the, the call or the investment call is taken on that particular asset the valuation requirement is for that particular asset only and alternatively could be the case that an investment or you know transaction or a reporting is happening at the company level at at the company so in which case uh, we will look at the company cash flows or you know what what asset base the company has okay 
and and uh, so what are the various methods of valuing our uh, real estate companies when either look at a project level or at a company level and how different they are in terms of project versus company level so uh, typically uh, when we talk about uh, valuation of of real estate or valuation of properties uh, there there are three methods what we use uh, generally uh, speaking uh, so you know one one is the income approach second is the market approach and third would be the cost approach L- let me just you know quickly kind of explain uh, what, what these three approaches are and you know what, what scenarios what we can use so income approach you know the basic premise here is that the value of the property is derived from the income it earns so you know the focus here is on cash flows of the properties Okay. Uh, what 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 the property is able to earn basis that earning capability you the the value is driven by that so you know generally speaking there are two methods sub methods within income approach one is the income capitalization and second is the discounted cash flows approach you know and depending upon the asset classes we we generally tend to use either of these approaches so what's more popular from a realistic point of view uh, so it's it's not like it's what what's popular i think what's relevant for example if it's a completed uh, rent generating asset uh, like like a commercial property or a retail mall or a hospitality asset if it's a completed asset it's a rent generating asset uh, and it's a stabilized asset uh, you know you tend to use more uh, rent capital or income capitalization approach is the the better method of valuation to be used Uh, whereas a property which wants a larger time for stabilization or you know which is under development property or it's a land stage property in which case you typically end up using a discounted cash flow in which you uh, assess the year on year cash flows and then at a particular time in future uh, when you feel the asset is stabilized you you capitalize and you know discount it to present value Okay. So, so that's that's by and large the income approach. Uh, you know, let let let's just go to the second approach, uh, the market approach. Yes. So this this is uh, this is also you know you could call it as a comparable approach. Uh, so here you assess the value of the property by comparing it with similar properties that are being traded or available in the market. So you know the focus here is. on precedence you know if you have transaction precedence or you have quotes in the market so if it's like an apple to apple comparison of course you don't so get apple most apple. people will just look at this primarily in a very raw format people would normally use this comparable to determine absolutely jaise hum ghar kharidne jaate hain to people say ki okay baju wala ghar 1 crore ka hai to ye ghar aur bhi 1 crore ka hoga correct so sorry i am from mumbai so you know we don't talk uh, in mumbai i think nothing is less than 1 crore so that's the example which comes to my mind correct <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah so so that's typically the market approach so you know you you typically end up using this approach uh, when 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 you know uh, there, there is no kind of development or there is no kind of income uh, which is which is uh, attached to this kind of an, of any particular asset okay and third approach would be the cost approach so you know as the name suggests uh, I, I, you know in this approach uh, you assess the value by assessing uh or computing the cost incurred on the asset or, or you know simply said replacement cost of the asset that if you were to build it today what would be the replacement cost and then you make adjustments towards depreciation 
okay it's a 5 year old asset today for replacing this asset the cost is let's say 100 five year used depreciation 20 the valuation would be 80 you know that 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 kind of an approach and what are the use cases for that so generally uh, for example uh, you know when determining uh, land and a building approach you know let's say you you're, you're buying a bungalow uh, bungalow uh, wherein you really don't have a comparable bungalow to compare uh, you know compare it so in which okay. case what you will do is you you will do a land land valuation separate a building valuation separate for a land you will use a market approach for building you will use a cost approach you know it's okay. as simple as that oh okay Got the point. So you you split the whole structure and like a land separately and building separately to understand uh, and add them together like a correct to see the value of a project or per, uh, property per se. Correct, correct. You know, so also you know, a lot of people use this approach, uh, just to uh, kind of as a backup approach, just to check you know what other earlier result, other valuation methods like for example income approaches throwing you know. meaningful results or not for example i am buying a hotel asset uh, a dcf yes. approach may give, give me a value i i would just want to check okay look if i were to replace this hotel today if i were to you know kind of build this hotel today what kind of cost it would be you know so just just to check you know anyways while trading there there is no particular value all you typically end up using a set of these uh, approaches just to cross check and you know get get to a reasonable and a sensible valuation number Okay, got the point. So, uh, so how do you? I mean, so in your experience, how do you determine which method of valuation to use in a particular case? Ah, uh, sure. So, uh, uh, what happens is uh, when determining what method of valuation, I I think uh, there there are lot of factors, lot of factors which actually you know, uh, uh, it's it's. Uh, which which depends upon that. For example, it it uh, what is the nature of the asset? Whether it's a raw land, whether it's an approved land, whether it's uh, under construction property, whether it's a completed property, whether it's a full project, whether it's a small apartment unit, whether it's a commercial office. You know what is the nature of the asset? What what is the status of the development? Like I said, you know. land under construction completed what what is the size of the project you know you know whether it's a 1000 square foot or a 1000 acre project what's the duration of the project if it's a you know if it's a one two year led kind of a project or you know stretch across 10 years uh, project more uh, extremely very important what is the location of that you know uh, whether it's whether it's in uh, it's in a city it's in a village it's an outskirts in a suburban uh, market and whether that market is like a buyers market or a sellers market uh, or it's a competitive market. and also i think a very important point uh, it also depends upon the nature of your client you know a lot of times the use of valuation method is also governed by the nature of client for example uh, whether when we do valuation for banking companies uh, you know rbi has certain guidelines on what method to be used what not to be used okay. when doing it for investor reporting purpose the investors may have laid down certain norms in terms of what valuation and and then finally i think the purpose of the valuation you know is it for financial reporting is it for active transaction is it for disputes so i think a mix of all these factors really determine 
what what method uh, you know to kind of uh, use use uh, for a particular case so when we look at a residential versus commercial so how different is the valuation model for them so residential versus commercial i i think the basic difference here is the difference in the business models so you know typically in indian context unlike western countries <laughs> residential is uh sold as it is being developed so developer really hits the ground starts hitting the ground and that's the moment when he launches the project for sale so you sell as you construct whereas on the commercial side grade a commercial i'm talking about because there there generally grade b commercial also adopts a similar model that you sell along with construction but grade a commercial is generally a lease model wherein you spend 2 to 4 years 5 years in constructing the asset once the building is ready that's when you start leasing it to multiple tenants so the approach to valuation is different because of the basic business model so you know while valuing a a residential asset uh, which which is at a you know development stage you typically end up using a dcf model whereas for a commercial uh, a rent capitalization method is suitable if it's completed or if it's near completion or near stabilization you know you typically end up using rent capitalization alternatively uh, i think dcf gives a uh, uh, gives better results interesting so depends upon the project and the size i mean so there are uh, the way i understand there are many variables which would determine the valuation model that has to be adopted absolutely absolutely uh, multiple variables multi, and you know more importantly the market condition which which location which market are you in for example some markets um, may be uh, you know when when looking at a particular city's context if the property is in outskirts of the uh, of a city um, you don't really get uh, that many comparable transactions uh, however having said that dcf also may not make sense because uh, the market is not developed market so you know how do you take call on the assumption the underlying assumptions the input assumptions which go into a dcf model so in that case you have to really use a mix and match of both the approaches uh, to to arrive at a uh, meaningful valuation for the point so uh, now coming from a valuation with the current uh, pandemic how so your experience how it has impacted the asset valuations now versus what we had uh, for the some of the businesses or assets valuation you have done a year back versus today so how does covid 19 has impacted can you just explain us that that's a tough question down trust me <laughs> you know, i've had sleepless nights in last uh, you know for five months uh, just for this dire covid situation but yeah i, I think uh, not to deny that uh, the valuations are impacted uh, uh, you know uh, now the bigger question is uh, to what extent and whether this impact is temporary or permanent i think that's the answer which is open ended answer which which uh, i think really not you know probably no one can really give with with kind of a surety but i think the impact 
is is more from the perspective of okay i'll tell you on two 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 uh, ways uh, it's impacted so one is you don't have certain uh, certainty about what's happening to business you know our business yes. is continuing uh are your operations gonna run when are they gonna run uh, at at which stage will the full operations be on what are your revenue assumptions when are you selling at what rate are you selling what are the volumes which are are buyers back into market or not into market so one is your uncertainty of these underlying assumptions which ha- having an impact on the valuation so you know in today's market if i am standing if so valuation we always say valuation is a valuation as on a particular date so as we stand today i know uh, there is the operations have slowed down a lot so construction is slow there are lesser number of buyers in the market so my revenues is lesser so to that extent valuation is impacted further i know for for the next 12 months 24 months the growth in revenues or the growth in business will be restricted so again a level of impact on the valuation so so that's that's one way it's impacted and the other way it's impacted is you know the, the risk perception so today you know uh, value is, is you know we always say uh, it, it's a value uh, uh, when investors come into market uh, they they have a certain risk return profile in their mind they have a certain expectation of a return from an asset of course that re- return is also linked to the risk uh, what is uh, expected uh, you know the underlying risk and because in current times the risk is higher the risk premium is higher hence the return expectation is higher and that's having a direct impact on the valuation Of so course. since the return expectations are higher the valuation goes down goes down yes it it just impacts the valuation negatively correct no when especially uh, for a commercial proper projects where we are looking at a uh, rent capitalization model so uh, there is, i have seen now the reits are becoming popular so can you explain the how does that reit structure works out for uh, in today's context and what is the reason that they are so popular oh, yeah, so absolutely. because uh, i have seen recently even the uh, that there is a mind space ipo which came in yeah. though it's uh, successful on the last day but uh, quite well subscribed but what is the reach structure yeah, yeah can you throw light on that so i think if you are talking about real estate and if you don't pick up the topic of reits it's probably injustice to the whole discussion so i think <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now uh, if i if i uh, loosely say uh, you know you you could uh, you know for 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 a layman listener i think uh, a reit could be compared to a mutual fund or, or rather i would say like uh, or rather not a mutual fund an exchange traded fund so you know you you are investing into a company and that company is owning multiple real estate asset class and that investment can happen uh, on 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 stock exchanges so you can buy like uh, you know like the way you buy shares the, the similar way you can buy units of a reit so it's like a typical exchange traded fund so uh, yes uh, last year we saw uh, you know we've been really discussing about reit since last uh, almost a decade now 
and i and i think the first guidelines of reach came way back around two decades back but we fortunately saw the first successful reach listing in indian bosses last year uh, and embassy was the first one to uh, list uh, they 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 had a successful kind of an ipo a good listing and a good year so far i think it's almost been a one year and uh, the performance has been really good both on the capital appreciation side as well as on the you know the return what they have given to the investors in form of dividends and uh, uh, you know very recently uh, a week back we saw a listing of mindspace mindspace uh, reit uh, again a phenomenal success uh, 13 times oversubscribed uh, you know i just unimaginable number uh, we all talk about uh, covid uncertainty uh, pessimism this and that i think that this this probably this listing uh you know uh, you know it it doesn't uh, give you at all like we we are, we are really living into a covid environment but i think it's fantastic so, so just to get give, get a sense of uh, uh, on a read so uh, how does their income model is like a it's a more of a rental income and eventually a exit of sale of property so what why why there is a interest in read so so what happens is uh, you know as a uh, individual investor or or you know institutional investor because there are you know both these are a typical two set of investors in a uh, reit asset class so as as a individual or a, basically as an investor you have either have an option of you know buying into a hard asset uh, but again that comes with a challenge of uh, you know the liquidity and the ticket size uh, you know Not, nothing's less than a crore or you know if if you're yes. an institutional investor so reit offers a platform wherein this company or the reit uh, the trust uh, holds these completed assets which they have onward lent to uh, top class companies on a rental basis they earn uh, the rentals out of this and and the whole concept of this is it's a diversified portfolio so for example if i own and i wish to invest in a commercial asset uh i have a small office gala which i rented out to a particular tenant uh that comes with an inherent inherent risk of i am relying on credibility or uh, uh, and the uh, you know credit profile of that individual tenant okay so rakesh in a real in a reit project do you see a, a long term popularity standing today definitely i think it's 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 uh, one of the you know upcoming asset classes uh, from an investment point of view uh, both from an uh, individual and an institutional investors perspective definitely and i think there yeah. are many more lined up as well so in next few years you will see a host of other reits uh, coming into the market interesting interesting fantastic the uh, rakesh that's a lot of insights from you and uh, this was awesome conversation about real estate companies their valuation methodologies uh, a lot of insight to the listeners to me i got educated about real estate which i was not knowing and i wish you the best and hope to see you again on joshi podcast super brawls absolutely uh, you know indeed a pleasure that discussion and i really enjoyed uh, being on this platform i wish you a good luck and a and a and to my listeners uh, 
take care and and uh, you know stay healthy in these times great thank you thanks so guys if you love this podcast of joshi uh, please head over to google podcast subscribe rate and leave a review it's much appreciated thank you